Hi, this is Tom Schultz, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, y'all? This is Lee with Pop Evil, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks! Hey, this is James Black from Finger Eleven, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 273 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In this episode, we have a bit of a variety of guests for you, starting out with James Black, the guitarist for the band Finger Eleven. Sean talked to James about their upcoming tour with Three Days Grace, as well as the recording of their new album called Five Crooked Lines. Before we get to that interview, though, here's a track from that album called Wolves Indoors. Welcome to the show from the band Finger Eleven. We have James Black on the line. How you doing, James? I'm doing great. Well, you Good guys to be are here. Yeah, it's great. You guys are going to be uh, coming south uh, from Toronto down into Pittsburgh here uh, on Thursday night. You're you're going to be kicking off your tour. Uh, yeah. With Three Days Grace and Theory of a Dead Man and Pop Evil. So I uh, want to talk a little bit about what's in store for the tour. We're going to hear some music from the new album. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we've been out actually the last month we just been doing gigs here and there and kind of getting into battle shape mm-hmm. so i think this is actually the first full tour kind of stretch it's about a month and a bit of shows but yeah it's definitely this the set is a lot of new stuff and we're just like incredibly like just i don't know excited and motivated to play it it's just so it's so new and fresh and it just really translates live to like the 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 record was sort of a mission in trying to capture some kind of spirit of our live mm-hmm. experience that we never have caught before, and I think we did it. And now, in reverse, playing that stuff live, it actually it translates really, really good. So we're excited. We're excited to get out and see Three Days Grace. We're friends with those guys. We haven't seen them in a while, and just really want to go and kick people in the face and and 
blow everyone away. Yeah, does it is it kind of um, do you kind of get the juices flowing when you when you're on the eve of you know the first show of a run of shows? Do you kind of give it? You know, you obviously got logistic little things to worry about, but uh, does it you know kind of firing all on all cylinders and just kind of want to get out there and attack? Yeah, yeah, like it's it's like the start of the race when you got a full tank of gas and mm-hmm. your tires are fresh and everything is just revving to go. And luckily, we've done enough. Uh, rehearsals and enough mm-hmm. sort of warm-up shows that all of those bugs that usually kind of hinder your experience for the first week, those are all behind us now. So it's really, it really is just like letting us out of the gate at full speed. Yeah, exactly. The um, now the new album, you guys recorded this. Did you go down to Nashville with um, yeah. Dave to do that? Can you talk a little bit yeah. about you know why Dave was brought in to do the project and how the experience went? Yeah, for sure. Uh, like we had just been writing and writing and writing songs for a good long time and I think towards the second half of it we started to happen onto something that we really were enjoying as as songwriters and as listeners and the most important thing for us I, I kind of alluded to it in the last answer was capturing something of a, of a, a, a live rawness mm-hmm. that we just hadn't ever done before and as these new songs started to take shape and we started to find out or just you know started to discover what this record is going to be we knew we had to find someone that was going to hold us to that Mm -hmm. spontaneity so dave his name kind of came up through other channels our manager and some other people he had been on their radar for the rival sons record right and at the mean in, in at the same time we were enjoying this record called by a guy named Sergio Simpson uh, that's like really a unique trippy kind of country record okay uh, and it it just so happened it was the same guy we're like what that's the yeah. guy who did if he can make country nowadays sound this cool and unique then that's perfect we were looking for someone who can apply that to rock and roll and he can he with rival sons he showed he can make rock and roll but i think for the most part he's been making country records so it was yeah. a bit of that untapped thing of like okay this guy has all the mojo but he hasn't made thousands of rock records to the right. point where they all sound the same yeah so yeah. It, it was a lot of that like just everything was new he hadn't made a record like what we were wanting to make but he clearly had the right attitude for it and we had never done something where we went down to Nashville and it was like three weeks to get it done normally we have two months to do it and we're kind of very belabored and obsessive over everything and and so everything seemed attractive about this the energy and the spirit of what we were talking about what what we wanted the record to sound like Mm -hmm. he just had the right philosophy and the right method which was just like well you can't make spontaneous stuff unless you are spontaneous right. and you keep it spontaneous so just in that conversation it was like okay yeah this this guy is for sure of the right mind so let's go down there and see what we can do we we don't know that we can make a record this fast but let's go try i mean we're professional musicians we got to be able to pull it off yeah and then we got down there and it was just such a natural thing like it, it, it there's always the first day of 
the studio is always has this weird vibe of like you part want to have this ceremonious like bells and whistles and fireworks saying like yes we're officially starting right but normally what happens is you kind of are just like you know you're introduced you're exploring the studio and all of a sudden you're making songs and it just happens and that's exactly what happened we were there I think two hours and all of a sudden we were working on the tunes yeah and so you can't get in the way of that you just kind of that's what you hope to happen and then holy shit all of a sudden it's it's moving yeah it's got to be kind of you know interesting as a musician you guys have worked with Johnny K on on, I believe most of your records up to this point just to have somebody new you know kind of a fresh shake it up well that we we had in the beginning we had made two records with a guy named Arnold Lanny Okay. And we were young enough on the first record that it was like going to school. We really learned a lot about songwriting and about how to use the studio properly. Then the second one, we, we kind of like really got in there and used the studio and were really hands-on. And it, it was almost like Arnold watching what he had taught us uh, at work. Mm-hmm. And so after the second one, it was like, okay, well, we need to go find someone else to learn to fill up the bag with some new tricks so we went to Johnny K same thing we did two records with him and then towards the end of the second one you kind of feel like okay we've we've known each other's tricks now let's Mm -hmm. let's go find some new ones so but we actually did do a third session with Johnny partway through the writing for this record we went down I'd say almost like the halfway point um and we recorded four songs and if momentum uh, had been the most driving force of our career we would have put out these four songs and and it just uh, everything about it was like you know what this does not sound like what we want to do but since we've been there and we did it and we made it are we going to put it out and I think for the first time we realized sometimes the, the stronger move is to not do anything rather than you know put something out and try to muscle it forward so we just mm-hmm. we were like you know what this isn't this is not what we want to do so let's just put these away pretend they don't exist and keep working and I think it was just a place where us and Johnny like we were talking about like we kind of maybe for this stage of our lives had hit a fork in the road where we both were wanting to our visions were a little bit different mm-hmm. so we took everything we learned from Johnny K and from Arnold and then we went and found a new guy who was I think also we've just kind of we've grown and we know a lot more now than we did when we were kids and so you're Mm -hmm. you're less looking for someone to hold your hand pieces all over the board right you're really looking for someone to like when you're about to move the piece that you look and go like is this do you think this is a good move Mm -hmm. so that that was a fresh experience just having someone really just be observing and and holding us to what it was we were looking for in the beginning which is spontaneous fresh fast-paced moving record so once the process started that was really dave's strong suit was kind of slapping your hands away from the the redo button and going like no no no, that that's good that's fresh keep going move faster let's let's get to the next song next song so yeah it was very new but very exhilarating Uh, james how how would you say is is a guitarist you've you've evolved over you know the course of your career obviously you've done projects outside of finger 11 um primary 
songwriting with Finger Eleven. How do you, you know, if you look back at the course of your career from record one to to the new record, how do you think you've changed? Um, I think, well, I mean, I think it's a world, a world of difference. I think I've changed mm-hmm. a tremendous amount. I think in the beginning, um, it, there was a certain type of chord and phrasing that just like, it's kind of like the on a skateboard the first trick you learn how to do then you go and you do that to death kind of thing yeah and so i think in the beginning it was drop tuning power chords and adding these weird kind of like dissonant notes in we call them failure chords there was a band called there's a band called failure that Mm -hmm. always had these like everything would be very Majory, but there would be this one weird note in there that would just make it feel like it was on drugs and weird. So we got obsessed with that kind of thing of like every chord we do has to have a weird note in it. <laughs> so it was just that we just kind of did the did those tricks uh, to death. And then once we kind of got sick of that, we kind of turned I, myself. I kind of turned more uh, in a traditional sense to like who I had always loved, Zeppelin, Beatles, mm-hmm. Floyd, they're all blues-based kind of thing. Sure. So I think towards the the end of, like, the Greatest of Blue Skies, our second record, that was sort of the end of, like, purely dissident chord, trying to be heavy kind of thing. And then I got into kind of lead playing and, and trying to get better at guitar solos and the function of that in that weird bluesy way of mm-hmm. like it, now it's about notes and sometimes about being very friendly and then about being very angry right next to it instead of just always being dissident right. and so then I think I got better at that to a point where it was now too uh, I don't know like too nice or something right. uh, like I and so th- I think the the la- the newest record is a bit of me trying to break it again. Where the uh, I think part of the greatest rock and roll is that as you're listening to it, you get a subconscious feeling of like, oh shit, these guys might not make it through this song. Like they're, they're, everyone's playing at the peak of their abilities. There's a little bit of like there's a loose wheel and there's some danger going on here. And I think when musicians get really really competent in their skill mm. that thrill goes away and it starts to become something else that's kind of more mathematic and and fancy and that's just not what my ears like to listen to but as a guitar player that's what I've I've evolved into something that I can play very clean and very be very meticulous about it uh but like I say my ears what I was raised on I don't like that so Mm -hmm. this record was kind of a bit of like breaking my own skill to say like you know what okay fine you can play nice you can play good but who gives a shit about that you don't you don't even care about that like let's get back to making sounds that you really want to hear so it was an interesting lesson and sort of like I mean the a great analogy would be and I am it by no means putting myself in this in the category with uh Picasso but right. he can draw he can draw a photorealistic picture he can paint an oil painting that looks 
like a photograph. Sure. But he chooses to do these very simplified, two eyes on the same side of the face, very abstract things. And, and people think, oh, I could do that. It looks like a kid drew that. But really, mm -hmm. he's choosing to do that because he can do all of it. Right. But this yeah. is an artistic choice. And so I think, in a sense, that's the only comparison I can make is like, okay, you learn how to do a lot more than you're ever going to need on the guitar. And mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, now that I've got a little bit of that figured out, I'm not going to do it anymore because I don't like the sound of it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's probably interesting in that your perspective as the song writer, you know, you probably have, you know, you have a sense in your head of what the song needs as opposed to, you know, if you were just the, the Ingvam Malmsteen of the band, you uh -huh. know, trying to show off licks. So, you know, it's a very... Yeah, it, and it gets to that point where that's the only thing left to do is, mm -hmm. okay, you've gotten flashy enough and fancy enough that you you either sit on your hands right. and you are frustrated about just playing some chords mm -hmm. or you you be that guy who just yeah. solos over everything. It's like, well, that doesn't really serve a purpose and, and for what I'm looking to do. So right. and right. And you're right, like being... Of an integral integral part of the writing of the song, uh, that makes those decisions when you get to doing the solo and and mm -hmm. figuring out the middle breaks. That that makes those choices much more uh, song more song oriented than right. than guitar oriented because you're part of the chord structure already. You understand what this song is wanting to be. So you would be actually the guy coming in and defacing your own. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's that's kind of but what I was hearing. It, you know, it took a long time to figure that out because I think even partway through the last record, and maybe even that session I was talking about that we did and didn't really work was like a, a bit of what a bit of what was turning out like what I don't like was mm -hmm. me doing yeah. just, just doing too much. Like I I had discovered doing harmonies. And um, with voices, as well as doing harmonies with guitars, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. everything's got three to eight layers to it, and it's really fun to do. To start harmonizing with yourself and make this big kind of ELO type of yeah fabric. But there's a point where you go too far, and now it it now it sounds like a pop record or something. It's like mm -hmm. okay, I've, I I'm having too much fun doing. Yeah. and not enough not enough fun listening so uh, and i think that's a lesson of maturity that i don't think i could have learned it other than to experience it for myself and go oh okay i'm i'm the guy that's ruining this I yeah and that's, this. that that's great to be able to have the objectivity to to be able to listen to yourself and critique that to know that you know sometimes yeah. you think you're almost too intimate with the process to be able to to See it. Yes. You've got to rely on an A and R guy or a producer to say, "Hey, you know, James, reel it in." Yeah, you know, so I think to your own ego, you just you're just proud of everything you do because mm -hmm. you did it and you remember the process. And that's a big thing that over the course of my career, our career as songwriters, I think that's maybe the biggest lesson is like, okay, the the joy you get out of making something is let's call that joy A. Mm -hmm. And the joy of listening to something amazing is joy B. And they're not the same. So sure. you can go and ha have 
all the joy A you want, but at the end of it, when it's all done, you're left listening to it. And if you don't get the B buzz out of it, it's kind of like, oh, all I did was do instead of. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, at that point, why why bother recording it if if all yeah. you're in is is is, is A. You know, yeah, let's go do it live because if we're going to do it and then I'm going to go home and never listen to it because I can't stand mm-hmm. it, then it's like, okay, well, that's kind of we've the cart before the horse kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah and it, it all ties into the same, this is the big, biggest long-winded answer ever, but it, it's, it all ties into the same thing of just finding your simplicity and remembering mm-hmm. the heart of what it is you were looking to do in the beginning sure. when you didn't know anything. Awesome. Well, James, you guys, uh, as I mentioned, you, you've got the new album coming out at the end of the month, Five Crooked Lines. Yeah. Um, you're going to be coming in Thursday to, to uh, kick off this leg of the tour with Theory of a Dead Man, Three Days Grace, Pop Evil. So we'll look forward to seeing you uh, Thursday night at Stage AE, and I want to thank you so much for your time, man. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, we can't wait to be there. I think it's, it's going to be the start of a pretty awesome run for us, and I think this is probably the best record we've made if not in our career then definitely in a in a decade so i'm excited to just punch everyone in the face with it awesome okay i'd like to thank james for taking the time to talk to us the new album is called five crooked lines and it drops on july 31st finger 11 hits stage ae this coming thursday july 9th along with three days grace theory of a dead man and pop evil this is the first show on that tour so if you're not in the pittsburgh area check out their website to see when they're coming near you up next on the program, we have an interview with Kasim Sultan of Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult will be playing the South Park Amphitheater this coming Friday as part of the Allegheny County Free Concert Series. So without any further ado, here's John speaking with Kasim Sultan. And I say welcome to the show! Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the program from Blue Oyster Cult. We have Kasim Sultan on the line. How are you doing, Kasim? I'm well. I'm well, John. How are you? I'm doing very, very well myself. I want to thank you. Um, you are playing most currently with Blue Oyster Cult, uh, who's going to be coming in and doing a show in South Park uh, in July. Uh, so I obviously want to talk about that. I also have been kind of following your career. I, I was able to catch you uh, at one point when you were performing with Meatloaf uh, and was very impressed and wanted to talk a little bit about you know your role in, in the band at the time. Uh, and well, thanks also you, very much. And, and you have a fantastic uh, record that you released in 2014. Uh, so let's start a, a little bit. Obviously, you've been in the music industry now for just shy of 40 years. Uh, yeah. At your, at your resume. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, I, I kind of became aware of you when I, I, I was a big fan of Meatloaf, and I know you were involved as the, kind of the musical director of the band. Um, and well, I, yeah, I, I also, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, sure. I did the first record in 1976. Okay. Yeah, so. I, I played bass on that entire first Bat Out of Hell record. So you've been recording since 1976, as you mentioned, you did the first Meatloaf album. Um, yeah. Is there anything in particular that you would say about yourself as a bass player that's kind of allowed you to enjoy so many different recording situations in such a long career? Um, you know, I, I wish I had the answer to that. I, I, I don't. Um, I just think that uh, uh, um, with that uh, with that first Meatloaf record, and, and at the time I had just uh, started playing with um, Todd Rundgren and Utopia uh, mm-hmm. up in Woodstock. I was I was a twenty year old kid that had barely been out of of New York City, um, and you know nobody told me play this this way, I play these notes, 
play this pattern, play, do this, do that. Nobody told me anything. I was kind of left to my own devices, and I just kind of ran with it. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think on some level that um, that kind of set the set the tones to me for the rest of my rest of my early career in the, in the sense that uh, I just did whatever I thought worked for the for that particular project, whatever project I was working on. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know, I didn't say what would you like me to play. How would you know? How do you hear the, a bass part being played? How do you hear a background vocal being sung? Um, I just did whatever I thought fit the music, um, and and I kind of I kind of didn't I didn't play it safe. You know what I mean? Right, so right. so I think that really that really set the set the bar for me to to just do whatever it was that that in my mind worked for whatever particular project I was on. Now, in in addition to obviously, I mean, bass players need to have the chops, guitarists need to have the chops, but how much? stock do you think artists put into chasm is an easy guy to get along with he's you know he's not a pain in the neck on the road he's not a diva i mean does that go into it and also your ability to sing how how much does that play into it um i i think that brings a lot to it uh the last thing in the world people want to do is work with difficult um mm. you know difficult musicians it's it's not uh it's hard enough um, and certainly over the past 10, 15, 20 years, it's gotten a lot harder mm -hmm. um, to to have a career in the music industry. Uh, and the last thing you want is somebody who makes it even more difficult. Uh, you know, we leave right. we leave the real difficult stuff up to the to the um, to whatever artists we're working with. You know, whoever mm -hmm. whoever is paying the <laughs> is paying the salary. He, right. he gets he or he or she gets to be the diva. Uh, the rest of the of, of the minions that <laughs> that float around the circle, um, kind of, uh, you know, you're there to do their bidding, and you're sure. there to make them look good and sound good and feel good. So that's really my mantra as far as working, you know, working in this business and uh, and how I approach um, being around other other people. It's 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 just such a drag when somebody is. Uh, is is demanding and, and and they're not they're not the person that you're there for right yeah it, it's it's always I always find it fascinating when when I talk to someone like yourself or someone like a, a Rudy Sarzo is another name that kind of comes to mind somebody who was uh -huh. you you've had a very long career no real gaps in employment um, but you weren't you know part of like a, a super band you know, where everyone was on equal footing and you've just kind of ridden that out of, you know, you weren't a member of the Rolling Stones, for example, and, you know, no, 40 years no. later, you're still a member of the Rolling Stones. Obviously, there's something about Chasm that says he's a good guy to work with, and that's that's, right. that's what I find fascinating. So let's talk about um, your solo record. How, how do you approach, you know, that kind of material? Is this all your own, or do you do some collaborating? How does, how does that shape up? Um, I, you know, I, I, I've had a solo career for, um, for about 30 years, maybe a little bit more, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 35 years. And, uh, I've always, you know, I've always tried to kind of keep it on, uh, uh, at the forefront of my, of my focus. Mm -hmm. Um, and <clears throat> unfortunately for me, uh, I, you know, I, I do work with so many other artists that sometimes it's difficult to find the time to devote to my uh, my solo career. Mm -hmm. uh, and but 
when I do have a a, a bit of uh, a, a chunk of time that uh, that I don't have a tour or I don't have a record project that I'm working on, um, I, I I sit and I, I I write songs. I do collaborate, um, and uh, and I do write by myself a lot. Um, so every you know every four, five ten years, uh, it comes time for me to do another solo record. Yeah. Uh, and that's how this one came about. Yeah, I mean, is that something that really helps? Is you know, obviously, I think every musician who's picked up, you know, everything from a, a recorder all the way through, you know, guitar and keyboard, has a, a need to want to create. And does that help? You know, in in kind of keeping it sane when you're playing in other bands and things like that, to kind of be able to, you know, tuck yourself away in a hotel or your own studio and and, and just write. Is yeah, that... it does. I mean, I, I, you know, I've I've tried writing on the road. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. really difficult when you're moving around. It, you know, I I don't want to make it sound like like I have a a a, 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 a hard job. I mean, my job mm-hmm. is it's it's all relative. You yeah. know, I I do I do what I love. I don't punch a clock, but um, but I do a lot of traveling, and I'm away from home a lot. Um, and when when you are on the road, uh, there's a lot of moving around and uh, a lot of like you know put your bags down, get into a hotel, mm. put your bags down, go to the sound check, go back to the hotel, change, go back to to do the show, go back to the hotel, get up at five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning to the airport, then then start the whole thing over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of times where you you just don't have the energy or the time. To sit down and be creative, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but I find time, you know. I find, I find time. I make time for it. Uh, it. Like I said, it's a little it's a little difficult on the road, but I have done it, and um, uh, it, it's not as uh, I'm not I'm not a very prolific writer. I don't uh, you know I don't sit and churn out solo records or or, mm-hmm. or songs. Uh, one after another after another it takes me uh takes me a little bit of uh, a little bit of time to do that but um it, it's just whenever the mood strikes sure yeah. yeah now let's talk about um moving with in with blue oyster cult was there a particular reason to to move to blue oyster cult as opposed to meatloaf uh, i don't actually recall when exactly you made the switch but well i had uh i, I had Started playing with Meatloaf in his live band in mm. 1993. Okay, um, that was just prior to the release of That Out of Hell 2, which sure. I sang backgrounds on. Okay, um, and I, uh, uh, you know, at that at that t- point, um, I had just come off of uh, a Hall and Oates tour. I was with Hall and Oates from 1989 to 1992. Okay. Um, I had a, <clears throat> I had a little, a, a little break in the action, if you will, and uh, and I got a phone call, and I went in and um, became the the utility guy. I was playing rhythm guitar and keyboards and background vocals. Um, okay. In, uh, on that bad out of bad out of hell two tour, the first one anyway. Um, and then the record exploded, and uh, it just, I, I mean, it took off like a bad out of hell. <laughs> yeah. If you will, um, and we wound up being on the road. God, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, all behind that record. Sure. Uh, probably three years worth of touring behind that record. Um, and uh, 
and then uh, inevitably a couple of band members left um, and I was tapped to become the bass player and musical director in 98 I think it was and then I stayed there from 98 until 2010 another 12 years mm -hmm. so really you know that's uh, what five uh, four something like you know 16 years with Meatloaf sure uh, and in, in 2010 I, I had just kind of uh, the it, it it had run its course for me. I, right. uh, I, I love me. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's a good guy to work for. But um, I, I had uh, I, I had burnt uh, burnt out on mm -hmm. it, and, uh, and and the music was going in a, in a bit of a different direction than mm -hmm. I was comfortable with. Um, and so it came time for me to to go elsewhere, or at least to you know to. to see what my options were sure um so i left in 2010 uh and knocked around for a year doing various things and uh and that's when i actually that's when i started my solo record was in 2010 okay um and then uh i got a call from don uh or from buck dharma uh asking me what i was up to and i i wasn't doing anything they said well rudy sarzo who was the bass player before me mm -hmm. Uh, was going to to do uh, a project, and he wasn't going to be their bass player anymore. And would I would I care to come in and do a few shows with them? And those few shows have turned out to uh, the past what three years, I guess, yeah. four Let's years that I've been in the band. So it's, that certainly has worked for you. Um, going back to your role as musical director, can can you give us a sense of what what all that encompasses? Well, basically. Um, in, in my in my experience, it is uh, it, it's making sure that 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 the music is being translated the way the artist wants it to. Okay. Um, I mean, you can take a record and try to be true to that record, uh, you know, note note for note. Uh, but sometimes that's not always the best uh, the best way to to go about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's a little. Um, that's a little too literal, uh, and especially with Meatloaf, um, you know, he always likes to change things on the road, extend solos, uh, extend intros, shorten bridges, mm -hmm. uh, repeat choruses, and stuff like that. Um, so it was that part. Part of my duties was to uh, was to facilitate that, and another part was. Making sure that um, that the musicians uh, understood what was going on on stage. There was it was a big band. There yeah. were um, I was seven people on seven musicians on stage, mm -hmm. plus two background singers. Um, and, and you know, a, a lot of times with a band that big, uh, you know, musicians tend to they they take license with uh, with their parts and and wind up you know. Doing whatever they whatever they want to do, and sometimes that's right. not the best thing in the world. So um, I had to keep everybody in check, uh, make sure that the, the the drummer didn't use too much double bass pedal, which right. I want to kill the guy who invented that stupid <laughs> thing, um, and uh, uh, and that the the two guitar players in the band didn't cop cop each other's parts and weren't playing in the same register. Um, that the keyboard player wasn't, you know, w w wasn't playing too much, or uh, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, too little. Uh, that all the background vocals were uh, were were being sung correctly. Right. You know, 
It's to, a big job. Yeah, it it, it sounds you know, probably more daunting than the bass parts in in a lot of respects. So it is. It, yeah, it is. Uh, that's cool. Now, in in your career, you mentioned Hollow Notes. You played with Joan Jett. You've done two massive albums with with Meatloaf, obviously. Uh-huh. When you're doing For- a, when yeah, I mean, really, it, it, uh, a lot of his albums would probably count, count as that. When you're in the studio doing these albums and Todd Rundgren albums and things like that, do you get a sense, or have you gotten a sense, this one's going to take off? Or, or have, the, have some of them surprised you? Have you played on anything that you, that became a hit that you just didn't see coming? Well, uh, the, the the prime example of that is Bad Out of Hell 1. Uh, I mean, when we, <clears throat> when we sat down to do that record, we rehearsed for almost three weeks prior to the first day of recording um there were uh we learned every single song uh from jim steinman the piano player he, who wrote uh, all the music and lyrics um sat down at the piano and showed everybody myself the, the core band on that record was myself roy bitten on piano max weinberg on drums and todd rundgren on guitar um and we played that whole record you know start to finish before we ever, ever recorded a note uh, in doing that you know in hearing those songs in the rawest form uh, before any overdubs or, or any any real um, sort of ear candy uh, you know I just thought that, that I'm gonna I'm gonna take the money and run because <laughs> I'm never gonna hear this record again you know if it ever gets released yeah um, and, and I just thought it was it was it it was as close to a comedy record as you possibly could get, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I took it seriously. Don't get me wrong; I, I did take it very, very seriously. But I just didn't think that I would ever hear that record again. About a year and a half later, um, I was driving in my car up to Woodstock from New York City, uh, and there was a station in uh, in New York called uh, WNEW FM, uh, and I remember listening to the radio and and hearing something and saying, geez, that sounds oddly familiar. Where where did <laughs> I hear that before? Where have I heard that? Oh, right, right, right. That's the record that I played on a year and a half ago. Because <laughs> it's, it's on the radio now. Isn't that cool? Go for That's you, really yeah. cool. And then, you know, 48 million records later, it's the, the third biggest selling record of all time yeah. uh, next to Thriller and Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and, uh, I, I mean... That 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 statement in and of itself says everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, you just never you never know. Yeah, I mean, you think about uh, you know you can't escape it, and I was kind of thinking about that, looking at you know just going down through the albums you've played on. You, you probably could sit there in your car stereo and just hit seek and come across songs you play all day long, um, you know, and that's just a true testament. Um, Kazo, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Your album three is available. Uh, looks like chasmsultan dot com. Obviously, uh-huh. has information on that. Um, yeah, you're it's gonna... also on iTunes. Okay, it's, it's, on, and, it's on iTunes as well. Okay, and you're doing uh, just a ton of dates with Blue Oyster Cult. Looks through the rest of the year. Do you have anything else in the works right now, or is it just Blue Oyster Cult yeah. from now until Christmas? No, actually, I have some solo shows coming up uh, later in the year in uh, in October and November. And uh, if you just check my Facebook page, Casson Sultan, or uh, or my website, CassonSultan.com, you can find out uh, where those shows are and when I'll be 
when I'll be around. I'm, I'm actually thinking of a Detroit, uh, a, a Detroit show. I'm working on one right now. Awesome. So, you get you out here we'll towards our, towards the Pittsburgh area. Kasim, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you indulging the questions, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in July when you get in here with BOC. Thank you very, very much, John. Make sure you come back and say hi, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Awesome. Thank you. All right, again, Blue Oyster Call will be at the South Park Amphitheater this coming Friday, July 10th. That about wraps up this episode. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Check out our Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Until next time, thanks for listening.